Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And if you are new with us, let me share with you that we've been in this book of Colossians, walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with this idea, what does it look like to be satisfied? What does it look like for you to experience true satisfaction? And really, the graphic that has been behind me every week in this series, uh, there's symbolism in it. Because your life looks like one of the sides of that graphic. It's barren, it's dry, or you're experiencing fruitfulness. And depending on which side of the graphic you may lie today in your life, it's not dependent upon the circumstances that you're experiencing. It doesn't mean if you're experiencing hardship in your life right now that somehow you're in the dry side of that graphic. No, that's not what determines that. It's not whether or not you you have experienced some achievements in your life that therefore you're on the lush, the green side of that graphic. No, that's not what determines that. What we have been looking at in this book of Colossians is that my satisfaction is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. That is where satisfaction is found. And the world, the system that we live in wants to tell us that we can find satisfaction in another person or another thing other than Jesus Christ, when in the reality, we can't find it in any other person that Jesus Christ. Some of you have tried, and I've tried. And when we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that satisfaction can't be found in a thing or in a person but that it's only found in Jesus Christ. And you may be here today and you can identify that satisfaction can't be found in the things that you have pursued, but maybe what you don't realize this morning is where satisfaction can be found. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. And even though some of us have put our faith and trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection for our sins, our hearts may have even wandered to believe that satisfaction can be found in something else. And so the definition that we've given about what does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus Christ, what does does that mean, satisfaction in Christ? We gave this definition. And if you haven't written this down before, I encourage you to write it down today. It's this believing and experiencing that Jesus is better. Believing that, understanding that. Having a theology that says that Jesus is better, yes, I believe that. That's where it starts. But experiencing it in the sense that I am taking what I believe and I'm applying it to my everyday life. See, that's when we experience it. It's not enough to believe it, though that's important. But it's applying it to my life so that I do not only believe it, but I experience that Jesus is better. He's better than fill in the blank. That's what Colossians is dealing with. And so when we look at chapter 3, we're making a turn in our series. Because chapters 1 and 2, Paul's dealing with the supremacy and the sufficiency and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is better. He's driving that belief home, that theology, but now we're taking a turn to what does it look like in my life to experience that? How do I experience that Jesus is better now that I believe it? And for some of us in this room this morning, that's where we're at. What does it look like for me to actually take what I believe and apply it to my life so that I can experience 
that Jesus is better. And so as we look at chapter three and we look at chapter four, now we come to really the the second half of this book, that's what we're doing. What does it look like for a person to live out the reality that Jesus is better? And so in verses one through 11, I'm gonna start reading in verses one through four and then we're gonna deal with the rest of the verses as we walk through this text this morning. Look at verse one. Paul says this, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's what I want you to see in these first two verses. There's two commands in these first two verses, verse one and verse two. You see them there. It's, Paul says this, seek the things that are above. And then he says in verse two, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, depending on what translation you're reading from, I'm reading from the ESV. Some other translations actually say set in both verses. And we're going to deal with the differences between seek and set. But what I want you to understand, first of all, is that these are two commands. They're in a tense, in the imperative tense, just like the English, that are command-type tenses. In other words, this is what you need to do. There is a call to action. Paul is giving us a call to action. Better way to say it, the Holy Spirit through Paul is giving us a call to action. And this call to action is based on the reality that Jesus is better, that Jesus is supreme. So because that is the reality, because that is what you believe, church at Colossae, then therefore this is what you need to do. You need to seek and you need to set. That's the context of what we find ourselves in this passage of Scripture. So here's the title of the message, and really, It's two parts because what we're going to look at today really fleshes itself all the way through verse 17 of the text, and we're not going to have time to deal with all 17 verses. So two parts this morning, and the title of the message is this if you're taking notes, 2020 vision. Now, I'm not talking about what's the vision of this church and what we want to accomplish. No, no, no. I'm talking about the way that you see things. See, here's the reality that I've had to embrace in my own personal life. I can't preach anymore without these. It's a hard reality. A reality I've not wanted to embrace. Uh, I've gotten to the point now, I don't know what happened, but like literally when I pick up my phone in the, you know, in the morning and my alarm goes off and I want to I wanna check ESPN, like you, don't judge me. I know you thought when I checked the Bible, the first thing I get up, but... but <laughs> But when I check ESPN, you know what I got to do? Man, I can't hardly read the thing without having my glasses on. What I'm not doing is increasing the font of my messages on my text. I ain't doing that. But here's what I've come to the reality. I need glasses. Why? So that I can actually read my notes so that I can teach or so that I can read something that I want to read. What did I have to do? I had to come and embrace reality that without Without these glasses, I can no longer have a 2020 perspective. Can't see things the way that they need to be seen. And what we're going to look at over these next two weeks is how do we see 
our lives and our world the way that God wants us to see it? How do we see it and view it, not through a distorted sense of reality, but through what God wants us to see, what truly is? That's what we're going after these next two weeks. And so here's, here's the big idea. Here's the main idea that I want us to see over these next two weeks in verses 1 all the way through 17. We're dealing with 1 through 11 this morning. It's this, that a satisfied heart, isn't that what you want? It's what I want. Better yet, that's what God wants for you. A satisfied heart is the result of a heavenly perspective. That's what God wants you to have. That's what God wants me to have, is a heavenly perspective. A perspective that sees life and reality and circumstances the way that God wants us to see them. With 2020 vision. Not with 2080 or 2100. No, no, no. 2020 vision. So if that's the result of what God wants for our life so that we can experience a satisfied heart, then I want to give you a definition of what I mean by heavenly perspective because I think it's important for me to do that so we know what we're talking about. Here's the definition for a heavenly perspective. Viewing my present reality through the lens of my identity and destiny with Jesus Christ. It's a definition I came up with. What does it look like for me to live with 2020 vision, a heavenly perspective, it is me viewing, viewing my present reality through the lens of my identity and destiny with Jesus Christ. And we're gonna unpack that. But that's the way that the Lord desires me to live. And when I'm living that way, satisfaction is the result. Not wanting, not dry in a desert place. No, no, no. Satisfied heart, a fruitful heart, a content heart. Philippians 3.20, Paul says it this way, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we exalt our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, our citizenship, who we are, our identity is grounded in our eternal destiny. So how do we live that way? I want to give you three things that are found in this passage of Scripture. Look at the first phrase in verse 1. Paul says it like this. If then you've been raised with Christ. That word if actually means since. The translation may say that if it's something different than what I'm reading from. So it's not like maybe. It's the, re- it's the reality that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then then. This is my reality. Since, like since you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what do I need to do? I need to seek and I need to set. Like that's going to be the byproduct. That's going to be the fruit because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I think it's interesting before Paul deals with seeking and setting, he reminds them of their identity that you've been raised with Christ. He's saying you you, when, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, think about when you did that, or if you did that. Like you came to a place, you're like, Lord, it's not about the good that I do. It's not about 
the cosmic scales in heaven outweighing the good versus the bad that I do. No, 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 no. I understand all of my righteous deeds are like a polluted garment before you, as Isaiah says. I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm putting all of my weight, my trust in what you've accomplished for me through your perfect life to replace my sinful life, your death on the cross, what I deserved, your resurrection. I'm putting my trust in what you accomplished for me. And your death and resurrection, the reality is, is when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have shared, I have a shared life with Jesus Christ. You say, what's the significance of that? Because he says, you've been raised with Christ. You're like, what does that mean? Well, what that means is when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just like Christ was raised, now I'm identifying with that resurrection. That that gives me purpose. It gives me an identity. Verse 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. If I don't understand the significance of that, then I'm like, well, what does that verse 3 mean? Because I haven't died. I'm living right now. As far as I know it, I'm breathing. I'm listening. I'm sung. I'm learning. I'm not dead, but it's speaking of, no, 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 I've, I've identified with what Jesus has done for me, therefore, I'm no longer bound to who I was before Christ. See, there's an identity there. There's, a, there's an identification. There's a shared oneness with what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the significance of what Paul is driving home in verse 1 and in verse 3 and in verse 4. Paul says it this way to the church at Galatia. He says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm identifying with what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm believing that. What's the result? I no longer live. Like I'm not living for myself, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, here's the first way that we live with a heavenly perspective. I love that Paul starts off with this point that he's making before he gets into the call to action. He once again goes back to who they are in Jesus Christ. See, if I'm going to live with a heavenly perspective, here's the first thing that I need to do. I need to see myself, or you need to see yourself through your identity in Jesus Christ. So how do you see yourself this morning? Really? How do you see yourself? Like, well, if I'm going to be honest, Johnny, I came in these doors this morning and not really feel very good about myself. And I was to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and say, well, why is that the reality? And you would say, well, because... As I look at this last week or last couple weeks or month or maybe even a year, man, I've just lived, lived in a place of defeat. My losses are more than my wins. And that could be of accomplishments that you wanted to see come to themselves or successes that you've wanted to manifest themselves or, or maybe even relationship. You're like, man, I was hoping this relationship would work out you know, with this guy or this girl and it hasn't or whatever the reasons, you're like, man, my losses far outweigh my wins. And you, and you would say, man, I don't see myself in a good light because I'm, I'm feeling defeated. Or on the flip side, 
If I was to ask you that question, how do you see yourself? You're like, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And, and I'd say, oh, really? That's awesome. Tell me why. And you, you would say, well, because, man, I've had, a good, I've had a good first couple months in 2020. And, man, it looks like I'm going to have a good first quarter in what I'm producing at work. And, and man, my, 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 my relationships are doing really well. I mean, I found this girl or this guy, and I've, I, I've been praying for that for a long time, and I finally found this person. Or, 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 uh, or man, I, we just moved into a new house, and we're loving it or whatever it is and you say man I feel like I'm batting batting close to a thousand and my batting average looks pretty good in regards to life and I'm feeling great about myself and 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 I would listen to you and I'd say well man that's that's awesome that God is doing those things but according to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul that's not how we identify ourselves But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you don't identify yourself by the expectations that haven't happened in your life or by the successes or accomplishments that you've been able to experience in your life. And not that those things are bad. But when I define myself by any other thing than my relationship with Jesus Christ, listen to me. I'm an insecure person this morning. Because though I don't desire, though I don't desire this, no, I wouldn't want this, I wouldn't ask this for my life. But if, but if that job that I feel like is going so well, God forbid if I lost that, or God forbid that relationship that's finally coming to my life, praise God, but if I lost that, it's God, those, those, those kids and just finding out that, 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 uh, that we're pregnant, God forbid, if I lost that. Any of those things that we are using to define ourselves, if we lost those things and that's where our identity rests, listen to me, we are on shaky ground both emotionally and spiritually. What Paul is saying is that if we want to live with a heavenly perspective and experience satisfaction in Jesus Christ, it can only be found in our identity with him. With him. We've been raised with Christ, he says in verse 1. I am dead to that hamster wheel to where I define myself by the wins that I accomplish or the losses I experience. No, no, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to my old way of living. I'm dead to living a defeated life that constantly is being reminded of the failures that I have seen. In my, no, 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 I'm dead to that. It says that in verse three, for you have died. And what is my reality right now? My life is hidden with Jesus Christ. That's an amazing picture. It's not a negative, but that my life is so being wrapped around God's arms that God is hiding me in himself so that my past, so that my failures, so that my expectations that have not come to fruition, all of those things that want to define me and I struggle in defining me. No, 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 they are, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Those things ought not to find me. Because I am so wrapped up in who I am in Jesus Christ. And some of us are so wrapped up 
in how we define ourselves by the things that we have accomplished or the things that we haven't. And what we need to be reminded of is, no, 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 your life is not hidden in those things. Your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. And you will not experience satisfaction until you bring yourself back to the reality of your identity in Jesus Christ. Living with a heavenly perspective. I love what verse four says. You ought to underline this phrase in verse four. When Paul says, when Christ who is your life. Who is your life? Your life. Like who is Christ to you now? Is he your life? It has the idea, that phrase is, what makes you alive? Like some of you are kind of listening and kind of not, but if I all of a sudden gave a baseball analogy, dude, your ears would perk up. If you're a teenager and I mentioned your favorite singer, all of a sudden your ears would perk up. Oh, he's got my attention. Or if I gave some other illustration that you relate to because it's one of your passions. That's the idea of who is your life? What makes you alive? There's certain things that I love to do. And if we're having a conversation and you're like, oh, I love that too, what happens or the subject comes up, all of a sudden, man, I want to be involved in that conversation. That's the idea. But what is your life? What's your identity? Because the answer to that's not your job. The answer to that's not your spouse. The answer to that's not your kids. The answer to that's not your hobby or your goal or your ambition. Though there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when they become your life, you have a misplaced identity. And satisfaction in heart will be something that will only be aspirational to you. See, Paul says, if you want to live with a heavenly perspective and experience satisfaction, experience, not just believe that Jesus is better, then it starts off by you seeing yourself through your identity in Jesus Christ. How freeing is that? That you're not how I define you. That you're not how your boss defines you. That you're not how that person that is angst to you defines you. But you are defined by the love of Jesus Christ for you. And no one can take that away. How freeing is that? How freeing. That I don't live for you. You don't live for me. I don't live for an applause. I don't live for the next greatest thing that will come and satisfy my heart for a little bit. No, no, no. I am a child of the king. And that will always be the reality from the time that I place my faith and trust in Christ to the time that I will dwell with him forever in heaven. That will never change. You gotta start defining yourself by that. Seeing yourself through that because that's 2020 vision. Here's the second thing that Paul gives on how we live in the heavenly perspective. Look at what he says. Again, I emphasize at the end of verse one, seek the things that are above. So here's what you need to understand. We're gonna find some commands here. 
We're going to see seek, we're going to see set, we're going to see put to death, we're going to see put on in verses 12 through 17. Next week, they all have the idea of keep on doing it. You know why? Because even though my destiny is secure in heaven, I still live with me. And me is oftentimes not pleasant. And let, I'm going to put you in it. Neither are you. So I'm not left alone up here. Keep on doing this. Remember I said we are moving now to how do we live based on the belief that Jesus is better. Well, here we are. Seek. Keep on seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That word seek literally means desire. So seek has to do with your heart. See, we all have a bullseye of what we determine as success. Every one of us. And some of us it may be the same, and others of us it may be different, that bullseye. But if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, what Paul is telling us here is that bullseye ought to be the same for every person who's a child of the king, whose identity is in Jesus Christ. And it's the things that are above. See, seek has the idea of my heart, my desires. And what ought to be true of every follower of Jesus Christ is the bullseye that I am aiming at with my life ought to be kingdom impact. How am I investing my life? How are my goals set to have eternal impact? Not just how I can get a raise, not just how I can have a relationship, not just how I can move the ball forward in whatever realm I'm in. No, 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 no. How can my life seek my desires are for what is above, for eternity, not just for this life, is the idea. Now, here's what I love. Look at the second part of verse 1. He says, we need to seek the things that are above, but then he says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's the significance of that? Because here's what Paul is saying. When my bullseye is kingdom impact, and that's my heart desire, then when I give myself to those desires, I will always be 100% successful. Now, I don't know about you, but I can say up to this point in my 40-some years of living that I've given my hand to a lot of things and experienced failure. Like totally ended with a dead end. But what this is saying is that if I seek the things that are above, if my desires are for eternal impact, then I will experience 100% success as I seek those things above. Now, here's what I'm not saying. There's plenty of times in my life where I've given myself and my desires have been for kingdom impact, and they impacted the kingdom much different than I thought. Much different. God, I gave my hands to this. My desires were right. I laid everything out, and it worked out much different than I thought. I don't have time but that is true. I, I, I'm having things flooding my mind right now for, for, for Lori and I's life. 
But whether or not they worked out the way that I thought doesn't mean that they weren't still successful for kingdom impact. And the reason why I say that when we give our lives to the things that are above, and that's our goal, and those are our desires, that we will experience 100% success is because when it says where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, it is what Paul is doing is he is putting Christ's victory as the as the guarantee that when I seek the things that are above, I won't lose. The reason why I want to seek the things that are above is because Christ has won the day. The reason why I want to have my heart's desire to go after the things that are above is because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and he wouldn't be seated at the right hand of the Father if he hasn't already won. So why am I seeking so many things that don't promise 100% success that will last for eternity? Man, let me give my life to the things that are above. What are your goals in life? Michael, Johnny, man, I'm just, my marriage isn't in a good place. and I just want my wife and I to be in the same room again. And I would say, that's, that's a good desire. But what if it was this? What if it's, Lord, I want to be a husband or wife that loves my spouse like Jesus loves me. I want my marriage to glorify God again. That's seeking the things that are above. It's got a different perspective. It's not just about me. It's about what Christ wants to do through me and how Christ wants my marriage to glorify God. Some of you are like, man, I just want, like I'm a parent, I just want my kid to sleep through the night. It's an amazing goal. I remember those days. It's like torture, right? Or I just want my kid to mind and not talk back. I just want them to sit at the dinner table and eat their food without throwing it all on the floor. Like I get all that. What does it mean to seek the things that are above in my family? It means this. Man, God, I want to be a father or mother that leads their children to learn and love Jesus so that my household can give glory to God. That's seeking the things that are above. How it shapes my present reality. So you're like, man, I just want to get a raise, man. It's been forever since I've gotten a raise, and I want this promotion. It's been between me and her, and, and, and not that she's, there's anything wrong with her or him, but, but man, I, I deserve this, and I want this, and, and that's not even a bad thing. But what, what if seeking things that are above at your workplace meant this? Lord, I want to be a missionary at my workplace so that the way that I work and the way that I lead gives opportunities for me to share about Jesus Christ. That's seeking the things that are above. Some of us may be, man, I just want the Lord to answer this request. I've been waiting so long. I've been wanting this for so long. I just want God to answer. Well, what if seeking the things that are above in your waiting look like this? Lord, I want to glorify Jesus and be a testimony to others of what it looks like to worship you in the waiting. That's seeking the things that are above. See, that word things is an interesting word. 
Like we use it in a very general array, right? Go get that thing. Like if I said to you, go get that thing, you're like, what thing? Right? Like you wouldn't tell your kids that, hey, kids, clean up those things. I could mean a million things. But things has a very significant idea in this passage of Scripture. It has the idea of comparing what is heavenly with what is earthly. That's the idea. That is, I'm determining, Lord, what do I want to seek? What do I want to be the bullseye of my heart? Let me, let me make sure that those things are the things that have eternal impact and not just things that don't. And let that be the bullseye of my heart. Matthew 6, Jesus says it like this. You may not know the reference, but you'll know the verse when I say it. Seek first the king, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm not saying this morning that those things, whatever that may be, are bad things, but they're not the main thing. The main thing is God's kingdom and living a life that demonstrates that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. And when you seek those things, when those are the bullseye of your heart, God takes care of the rest. So how do we seek those things that are above? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 2. Holy Spirit tells us through Paul, he says, set your mind on things that are above. Remember, keep seeking, keep setting. It's a daily thing, not on things that are on the earth. Now, seek had the idea of your heart. Set has the idea of your mind. Set means persistence or perseverance to follow through on what you're seeking. It's your mindset. It's your day-to-day dedication. Michael Phelps, how many of you heard of him? Raise your hand, Michael Phelps. I think pretty much everybody, whether or not you're into sports or not. He's been out of the news, I know, for a while. But he's the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time. He's got 28 medals. 23 of them are gold. Now, here's the deal. When Michael Phelps was a wee little lad in the little kiddie pool splashing around, I'm sure he didn't say, you know, in life I want my goal to be 23 gold medals. And the other five that weren't gold, yeah, those are good too. But as he got into the pool and he started to grow and he started, they started to see, man, this kid has got some talent that's different from the rest. I'm sure Michael Phelps started to say, man, I want to be Olympian, an Olympian. And I'm sure as he got better, he said, you know what? I want to be the greatest Olympian of all time. At some point in his life, I'm sure if he shared his story, he would say that that was one of his goals. That's seeking. This is the bullseye. This is what my heart wants to go after. But listen to this. Michael Phelps swam a minimum 80,000 meters a week. Now, if you're like me, you're like, I'm not into the metric system, Johnny. So let me give you this. That's nearly 50 miles a week. Listen, I can swim, but I'm thinking one lap up and back on an Olympic-sized pool, that's good for me. 50 miles a day, minimum. 
It says Phelps trained for around five to six hours a day, six days a week. Why do I say that? That setting. Seeking. I want to accomplish this. I want to go after this. But some of us stop at the seeking in our lives. God, I desire this. I I want this. I, I want a marriage that glorifies you. I want a family that glorifies you. I want to be a missionary at work. I, I, I want I want to my life to matter for something. And we got the seeking. But Paul doesn't stop with the seeking. We also need the setting. I need the day-to-day dedication, the persistence to follow through on what my seeking is. Man, I wish that I could lose weight by just popping in a DVD or watching some exercise video on my TV for 30 minutes a day on my couch. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Like, I'd be a millionaire if I could figure that out. But me saying I want to lose weight is just seeking. Setting is the day-to-day, after-day putting my muscle and my mindset to work, that setting. And the Holy Spirit has given us his power. We have an identity in Jesus Christ. I can't accomplish anything that I wanna seek, the things that are above without the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is an element of me that has to go along with the Holy Spirit. He's not gonna put some trance in me that I will do something that is beyond me even recognizing that I've done it. No, 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 it's me partnering with the Holy Spirit with his power to apply that so that I can see the Lord do something in and through me. It is me partnering with the power. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit won't do it for me either. I have to set, it's a deliberate act of the will. So how do we do that? Look at verse five. Paul says it this way. He says, put to death. Put to death. See verse five, he's gonna tell us what we need to put to death. Verse 12, he's gonna tell us what we need to put on. But we gotta start with what do we need to put to death? And remember, that has the idea of keep putting it to death Because sin is no longer my master. Sin no longer has enslavement power over me, but I still battle sin every day. I still have to say no to sin and yes to Jesus every day. So how do I set my mind on what will bring me satisfaction in Jesus Christ? See, that's the third thing and how I live with a heavenly perspective. I set my mind on what will bring me satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Here's how I do it. I say no to what will rob me of that satisfaction. I will say no to idolatry. What is idolatry? Giving first place of my head what I think, my heart, what I feel, my hands, what I do, to anything other than the Lord. Gotta say no to that. And how does idolatry manifest itself? Well, Paul gives us two ways. First of all, in selfish deeds, look at verse five through seven, he says, put to death what? Sexual immorality. Listen to me, the list that we're about to read. If I'm not experiencing satisfaction in Jesus Christ, 
It's not because there's something wrong with Jesus Christ. It's not because I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit as a child of God. Maybe it's because I am not putting to death some of these things. And so as we go through this list, maybe we need to say, Lord, which one of those things am I living which is robbing me of my satisfaction, which is causing me not to live with a heavenly perspective? First thing he says is sexual immorality. It's where we get the word pornography from. It literally means every kind of sexual relation outside of how God has deemed sex to operate, which is between one man and one woman, one husband, and one wife. Listen to me, I say this out of love. The amount of people that I run into that live as followers of Jesus Christ, yet in their relationships with the person that they love, live as someone who's not in a relationship with Jesus Christ is mind-blowing. I'm going to have sex with her, him, I love them, we're going to get married. You're robbing yourself of the satisfaction that is yours in Jesus Christ. You're robbing yourself from the satisfaction that the Lord wants you to experience with that person who you desire to be to your spouse. Listen to me, if you're, if you're in love with that guy or that girl and you want to marry them, you ought to want to have sex with them. If someone was to come to my office and say, I have no sexual attraction to that person, I would say, then don't get married. But when I take what God's designed and I take it out of the realm which God wants me to enjoy it, I'm not going to experience satisfaction. Paul says, put it to death. Set up some boundaries. Guys, you lead in that. is a whole nother message in and of itself, but put it to death. Put to death, what does it say? Impurity, that sexual perversions of your mind or what you say or what you do, similar to what we find in sexual immorality, passions, uncontrollable passions, you not having control over what your flesh desires, evil desires, sinful cravings in any number of realms, covetousness, greed over what someone else possesses. He says, these things are idolatry, and on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What he's saying is, 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 is God brings judgment to those sins. You are no longer bound by God's wrath. You've been freed from it because of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, that's why he says, in these you too once walked, like you used to live this way when you were living in them. Remember, this is first generation church. Some of these people used to live like this a year ago, five months ago, a month ago, some of them even yesterday. He says, this is not how you ought to live. This is not living with a heavenly perspective. Set your mind on things above, which means saying no to these things. And some of you, there's a million ways you say no. You can't help yourself to get on the computer and watch porn. Get rid of the freaking computer. Say no. Some of you, it's you asking for help. And exercising the humility to say, I need help in this that I'm struggling with. Put to death, be ruthless about it, kill it. 
Then he says selfish attitudes in verses 8 and 9. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger has the idea of my negative attitude. Man, how toxic is the negative attitude? Wrath, which means outburst. Malice, which is hatred. Slander, which is gossip. Obscene talk, which is abrasive speech about others from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Listen to me. All of these deeds and attitudes are rooted in a worship of me. We're going to stop right there this morning, which is not the greatest place to stop. But 2 Corinthians 4.16 says there, so therefore we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because the reality is, is there's going to be some days where you said no to the right things and you said yes to the wrong things. Don't lose heart. That's the beauty of our Jesus as our life is hidden with Christ and God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Listen, you are not a failure by what you did yesterday or even this morning. Failing is not confessing and then seeking forgiveness and bringing yourself back to your identity in Jesus Christ. Failure is not realigning your heart to seek after the things that are above. Failure is is saying, okay, I didn't set my mind to what I wanted to do yesterday, but today is a new day. I am setting my mind. I am putting this to death. Remember, keep on doing it. I can't put to death something that I made a decision three weeks ago to put to death. It's every day. It's every day. But my motivation for all of that is not guilt. It's gratitude. Remember what Paul says? He starts off this, no, no, you've been raised with Christ. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is a sign that I can be victorious.